they've got the weakest team left at home. Then they've got one game at home to go to the Super Bowl. Against the team you've already beaten this year. Welcome in to the Titans 10 for Thursday, January the 20th. I'm your host, Easton Freeze, broadcaster and writer with Broadway Sports Media and the 440 Podcast Network. We are just two days away from the Titans playing their first playoff game of the year, hosting the Cincinnati Bengals here in Nissan Stadium on Saturday at 3.30 p.m. Central Time. I hope you're getting excited. I've been a, a, a bit of a, a, a fight with time this week because on one hand, I can't wait for this weekend. We've got four incredible games lined up. Um, but on the other hand, all this content we're trying to get out to you guys from BroadwaySportsMedia.com, uh, the, the clock is ticking and there's just so many things to do and so little time. Before we get into our guest today, by the way, this, this edition of Titans Talk Divisional Round, this is part two for the week. We had Buck Rising on yesterday. In case you missed that, Buck joined me. We talked a little bit about the Titans. Definitely go check that episode out if you missed it. Today's episode is with Paul Kuharski. You know him. You love him. Some of you hate him. He's a, he's a great guy to talk to. Uh, we had a really good conversation. I think you're going to enjoy it. Before we jump into that, though, just a reminder, over on the Home Run Throwback podcast feed, the show that I do with Jimmy Morris, a Broadway sports media production, we have had two great guests on this week. Mike Keith, the voice of the Titans, joined us on Monday morning to talk everything Titans from this week's playoff game to how the season went from his perspective in the booth. We talked about the Titans leadership, Amy Adams Strunk, John Robinson, Mike Vrabel. He is the man when it comes to the Titans and, uh, uh, you know, getting some insight from inside the organization because he is deeply entwined with the Titans and Titans leadership and Titans culture. It was a great conversation. Another great conversation we had last night with Chad Withrow. Jimmy and I sat down with Chad from Outkick 360. We talked about the Titans playoff uh, game this weekend, what this season has meant. We compared this year's playoff team to some past playoff teams, some past Titans one seeds. Um, Jimmy and and Chad did a really good job just being that historical database, going back, talking about the comparisons to some past teams and, and what this team uh, looks like, how they may contend for a Super Bowl this year if things go right for them. Really great conversation there, so check that out as well. That was uh, posted this morning on Thursday morning, so over on the Home Run Throwback feed, go check that one out. Uh, today's episode with Paul Kuharski is obviously out right now because you're listening to it. And then we're going to have an episode tomorrow morning. Zach Lyons from Football and Other F-Words and I sit down, talk about the divisional round, preview all the games, get into the entire weekend of hopefully much better football than Wild Card Weekend. And then I believe tomorrow afternoon, Friday afternoon, we'll have our traditional preview episode of the Titans and Bengals game. We'll go through all of our regular the Titans 10 segments, get some clips, some audio from the week, um, do some quick hits, and of course the preview segment. Have a good time there. So two more episodes on this feed coming your way tomorrow. Until then, enjoy this conversation that I had with Paul Kuharski. All right, let's welcome in Paul Kuharski to the Titans 10. Paul is a writer at paulkoharski.com as well as a broadcaster over with Outkick 360. If you follow the Titans, you are surely familiar with Paul. Paul, how's it going? I'm great. How are you doing, Easton? Thanks for having me. 
Doing great. Thanks for joining us. Got a couple of questions about some of the players today. I know that you were uh, there. We we heard from Derrick Henry today for the first time since before Halloween. Um, it seems like if they're making him available to the media now, it's almost a certainty at this point he's going to be a go on Saturday. I want to talk a little bit about the expectations for him in this game. I feel like as fans are wont to do, those have gotten a bit out of control in terms of uh, what we could expect to see from him in his first game back. Um, the idea that he's going to be back to 100% obviously um, would be shocking if he came out and put up a classic 30-carry game from Derrick Henry. You got multiple touchdowns, 100 yards, yada, yada, yada. You've got a guy, Deontay Foreman, who does a pretty good Derrick Henry impression. And while you want Derrick, if he can go, to get the majority of the touches – um, you'd imagine they're going to be some kind of split there in terms of workload, no? Yeah, I mean, I think Mike Vrabel generally, you know, wants to use a guy uh, as, as much as he can. I, I think you let Henry kind of tell you with his play what what he can handle. Um, so if he looks like, uh, you know, Derrick Henry of old, then you, you use him as much as you feel comfortable using him by feel comfortable. I mean, you know, uh, as much as you might feel comfortable using him in a regular game, I, I think slightly less than that. You know, right. if there are signs of, uh, you know, uh, hesitancy, um, I don't know, conditioning, I'm sure he's supremely conditioned, but there's still something to playing in a game. Um, you know, if, uh, if he looks like he's had any trouble planting, cutting, anything like that, then I think you'd you'd reduce it uh, on the fly. So I I would imagine they'd take it on like that. Jonathan Hutton on Outkick 360 today uh, set a number at 18 and a half, and that seemed like a good Vegas number because that pretty much split split the poll that he sent out. Uh, okay. I took I took the under. I think he and Chad Withrow both took the over. That sounds about right. I mean, 15 to 20 carries um, it w- wouldn't be shocking if that's what we saw from him. Another guy who we're not certain how much or if all we'll see him on Sunday or on Saturday, rather, uh, now is Jack Rabbit Jenkins, who popped up on the injury report today. I saw a couple of people in the press pool talking about how it sounds like he's going to be all right. We know that he was on the injury report uh, before week 18 with an ankle and was a DNP a couple of times and then played in the game. Do you know anything about whether this is just a maintenance thing? Is that kind of where you think this is going? Or do you think this is something new he's dealing with? You never know. Uh, when an injury pops up like that, that you know, the, f- the first thinking is that, that a guy hurt himself um, the day before. He was scheduled to talk to media um, on Wednesday. Oh. Um, and, and then, uh, you know, our time got condensed because uh, we had long conversations with the coordinator. Uh, we talked to Derek for about eight minutes, uh, and then, uh, you know, we were waiting at the rail. Uh, it, w- it was kind of uh, – we, we didn't know if there was going to be time or not, and ultimately it ran out of time. Um, so then, you know, it's a surprise when he's on the injury report and has, hasn't uh, practiced. So I don't know what to read into that. Um, you know, tomorrow we'll be telling for sure. He's played great his last four games would be a big loss against the wide receiver pool as deep as Cincinnati has, obviously. So uh, for Titans fans, that's a a cross your fingers uh, situation for sure. 
Um, so we'll see where that goes. Yeah, I mean, he's been a guy who, like you said, the last couple of games, he's been really good for the Titans. He's kind of like Malcolm Butler in the sense that um, he's a, a free agent acquisition, comes in, doesn't look great out of the gate, and Titans fans seem to turn on him there. And he's been playing better, but I'm not sure that the the consensus has caught up to the fact that he is a real weapon for this Titans secondary, which I think if you had to pick uh, a side, a, a part of a side of the ball that is the biggest weakness for the Titans. It's probably that secondary, especially going up against a team like the Bengals, who their their marquee feature is that lethal passing attack. A guy like Jenkins, if you don't have him, you could be in some serious trouble. Speaking of that passing attack, well, look- we've said that we've said that a couple times. I have to point out, and uh, you know they've run through. Uh, their secondary depth and, you know, even with a guy like Buster Screen uh, survived pretty well, That's not true. necessarily against this level of a passing attack, but uh, the depth has been tested and is, is, is ready if called upon. The whole thing to me really is, uh, you know, is the front four consistently um, getting in the backfield. And the, and the trouble there is that Burrow, while he's been sacked 51 times, he's great um, under pressure. Yeah, is very good under pressure. And if, if you sack him on this play on, on second and 13, he's very likely to, to make make a, make up for it. Yeah, that's a great point. And statistically, like you said, he's this year, it's been shocking how little the difference uh, is between whether he's under pressure and, and not under pressure. I guess just the idea is you still have to get after him because you have to limit the amount of time he has for those elite receivers to get open. And those elite receivers are definitely the biggest strength on weakness matchup for this Bengals team facing Tennessee. The the Bengals pass catching unit up against the Titans secondary is a strength on weakness. But then you have a Titans front four up against a Bengals offensive line, which is a strength on weakness in favor of Tennessee. So that's going to be an interesting, I think, dichotomy there when, when the Bengals are uh, driving the ball on offense what do you think the bigger disparity is there? Who do you think um, is is at a disadvantage when those two units are on the field? Yeah, well, it's interesting because because uh, I, I agree with those as the two weaknesses. Yet both teams have survived them, um, though you know I've got some recency bias going on in my head with Elijah Molden struggling against Danny Amendola, who's what uh, I'm forgetting if it's 33 or 36, but I mean the guys ancient and slow and he shredded the Titans in the second half in Houston, which is uh, un- unforgivable. I mean, Cincinnati's offensive line is not very good. They were obviously making the choice between Penny Sewell and, uh, and Jamar chase. And you can't argue with the choice that they made, but we know where they're going to be heading in, in the draft and, and maybe in free agency. Oh yeah. The next, next step for them is, is to get burrow uh, protection and time to do even more work uh, with Chase and uh, and Higgins and Boyd. So uh, whichever way I say here will prove to be the wrong way for how this game plays out. Right. Um, I, I think <clears throat> I think it's more damaging potentially that offensive line for Cincinnati in that Burrow can get physically hurt um, by their poor play while uh, the Titans – Secondary would only be giving up yards and and big plays, but uh, not potentially um, hurting, hurt physically hurting a guy. Right. Uh, so I might score it just a notch to the Cincinnati offensive line being a bigger weakness based on based on that. But uh, you know he's gotten up fifty one times, uh, and the, the big the big injury is uh, you know a year and a half ago. 
Yeah, that's interesting. Looking on the other side of the ball, the Titans pass catching unit, you probably don't remember this, but around this time last year, when you guys were finishing up your stint with 104.5 on midday 180, uh, you guys were broadcasting, it was either the day or two days after the Titans lost to Baltimore in the first round of the playoffs. Really uncharacteristic game from the Titans offense, which last year had been really lethal and in in the Baltimore game couldn't seem to do anything. Um you were taking callers that day and I, before I was with Broadway sports or anything like that, decided to call in and give my two cents on what the biggest problem with this team was and, and what went wrong. And I went on this rant and, you know, not to brag, not to brag. You did after I hung up, call it the call of the year. I, I, I'm just saying I may or may not have. Congratulations. I may or may not have gotten a plaque made. Uh, no, it was like January. It was like January right. yeah, 13th. Yeah. So it's not yeah. much into the year. No. And then the show ended. So I, I mean, I think I just won, frankly, but, but that aside, one of the main points that I made and that you agreed with in particular was your wide receiver, wide receiver three cannot be Khalif Raymond. He's total Jag, something that you've been saying for years. He's out of here. He's in, he's in Detroit now. I, going into this. There are still Titans beat people who think Khalif Raymond is good. No, I know, I know. And bought and, that whole story hook, line, and sinker. Yeah. Uh, oh, what a great story. The guy came from rags to riches. Uh, uh, isn't it isn't it cute? What a great guy. I'm rooting for him so hard, all this bullshit. Well, and then he Sorry, goes and then he that. and then he goes to Detroit and he gets all these garbage time yards because they're playing from 20 behind all year. And it's like, look, they were great. The Titans couldn't scheme them up right him and Josh Reynolds both up there, but that's besides the point. It's it's clear to anybody with with eyes that those guys, with Khalif Raymond in particular, you can't have him as your wide, wide receiver three and have a lethal passing attack in the playoffs. So going into this first playoff game this year, it had me thinking about that, the parallel entering those two games. Do we think that the Titans passing, pass catching unit has improved in that department? What, what are your thoughts on Nick Westbrook-Akine? Put... Put the unit as a whole aside for a minute, because I'm going to I'm going to ask you about Julio Jones in a second. But Nick Westbrook-Akine being the, the wide receiver three, which they didn't anticipate him being that guy coming into the year. It was supposed to be Josh Reynolds, but he ended up being that guy. He ended up being wide receiver one for part of the year, doing his best. Wasn't enough, clearly. But now that he's in that clear third role as a, as a wide receiver, what are your thoughts on his ability to be an upgrade there for this Titans team? Or are they still really lacking in that department? You know, I think he, for what they do, he, he, he's pretty serviceable. I mean, he plays all three spots. He makes pretty clutch third down catches when they go to him. I just don't want his role to be much bigger than it is. And I can't detach it from Julio Jones because if Julio Jones isn't doing uh, what he's supposed to be doing, and if he's got to come off the field because of his hamstring, um, or if they're ignoring him when he's open, or if he's not getting open, then it puts more on NWI, and then NWI's got too big a role. Um, so, you know, Chester Rogers factors in there a little bit. Um, Marcus Johnson, right, was, was a good find for that role as well. But the reason that Marcus Johnson was available for you to plug into that role is because it's the same he had reason he's not here right now. People couldn't trust him, and then yeah. he got hurt twice, mm -hmm. and can't depend on him here either. Yep. Um, but you know, they had a decent pool of options there. Josh Reynolds, I don't understand how you sign him when he doesn't fit your 
your MO. Yep. And that's another guy they signed who didn't fit their MO the way that Vic Beasley didn't fit their MO. Um, uh, and, and then um, Johnson becomes uh, unavailable twice. So now you're on to uh, your third, third receiver in Nick Westbrook, Akina, right. who I kind of also mentioned Chester Rogers, who's the slottiest guy. Right. Um, so I think Nick Westbrook Aquina is a, is, is a, is a good story in terms of uh, his, his reliability, uh, the fight that he's shown to, to work, to be uh, serviceable at all three positions. Um, he, he's not going to run the wrong route. He's, he's not generally going to drop the ball and all of that. But if Julio Jones, as has so often been the case, is either unavailable or uh, in-game unreliable because of a hamstring, and NWI has to slide up a spot, the whole thing changes. No, I'm with you. And I think uh, if you're comparing the wide receiver three position for the Titans last year to this year, I think it's a pretty clear upgrade, in my opinion, NWI over Cleve Raymond. But I think if you're looking to have a, a playoff-worthy, lethal passing attack, a guy like Nick Westbrook-Akina, frankly, you want him to be your fourth at best. Agreed. Um, and, and so that's something that, uh, you know, we'll talk about that. I'm sure a lot in the off season, the Titans potentially getting another pass catcher in the draft and all of that. That's clearly still an area of need. Now, Julio Jones, you, you caused a big stir in the Titans community a couple of weeks ago. And, and I, I think it was a, a case of everybody mad at PK for no reason, in my opinion. And caused I, a big and, stir by stating the obvious. Yes. I, I, no, no, no. People I, are so. Uh, nobody states the obvious for so long that when somebody states the obvious, he's a terrible person. It's unbelievable. No, I was with you to the point that somebody has to email me saying nasty things about my child. That's, no, and I, that's I, how I saw soft that. Pegasus. And it's, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. And I, I saw that you reported that to the authorities and I, I hope that works out. It, people shouldn't be that way. It's sports people. Stop that aside. You stated the obvious that he's been a Big fat disappointment this year so far. If you're doing an autopsy of the regular season, what he was brought in to be, what he ended up being, his unavailability dictates that it's a it's a failure. It is, and and people can be mad about that. And in the the common the common theme was okay, yeah, but he's still under contract. And what if he does this in the playoffs? And okay, I think your point is you're not saying that that the entire Julio Jones experiment is already a failure, regardless of what happens in the playoffs, regardless of what happens in the next year. But if you're judging it so far and correct me if I'm wrong, you're just saying it's been a big fat failure. And if you're comparing it even to a guy like Corey Davis last year, it's really not comparable in what they brought to this team. Stefan Diggs and Tyreek Hill. Uh, Tyreek Hill makes a little bit more. Stefan Diggs makes a little bit less. Um, I mean, he's not anywhere in their ballpark in terms of production. And now we're not even counting in the draft pick compensation that they gave up for. Yep. Now you say, well, he's been hurt. Well, uh, I mean, Jadavian Clowney was hurt. Everybody hated Jadavian Clowney when he didn't produce as he expected when he got here. So what's with the coddling of Julio Jones? I just don't understand it. Maybe well, I understand he, it. It's because people are so desperate to make you, they go so far in on the idea that Julio Jones is going to be this guy. And ooh, the three headed monster of this Titans offense, they, they, they desperately want it to work. 
They want to see and, and a lot of them convince themselves like the Titans were saving him for the playoffs throughout the regular season. Yeah. No, which is not in any way, shape, or form how the NFL works Mm-mm. based on investments and the need to win games. So they're very fortunate they won games without him contributing. If he goes and helps them win three games now, that'll be great. And sure, it'll will have paid off. Um, but the best uh evidence of what you're gonna do is what you just did. And people were acting like uh, five catches for 58 yards and a touchdown was some miracle game. I mean, that one touchdown got him to one touchdown in 17 games of the nine games that he played. Right. Congratulations on your big return on investment. Hey, if he has great playoffs, the storyline changes. But people have trouble with this. If, if he goes and has great playoffs, you know what? It doesn't change. What he didn't do in the regular season. Where was that? Has no bearing on exactly. No, hundred percent, hundred percent. So, so what to you would would be a, a playoff performance from him that would make you think that overall this year was a success? It was. It was. It was beneficial for the Titans to have gotten him. What does that look like, or is well, that even I possible mean, in your opinion? I, I I don't know if it's a Super Bowl or bust. Now I feel like it probably is because. They've got the weakest team left at home. Then they've got one game at home to go to the Super Bowl. Against the team you've already beaten this year. Yes. And so uh, I I would see him contributing in some not insignificant way to those wins for it to be an argument as to whether it was worth it. He should be doing more than Marcus Johnson would have done if Marcus Johnson was healthy and in that slot. And I can't believe I said that. And as soon as this airs tomorrow, my Twitter will go crazy and my kid will be under siege. Marcus Johnson is better than Julio Jones, according to Paul Kaharski. You heard it here. I'm saying when Marcus Johnson was healthy, I I saw, you know, as much or certainly per dollar, I saw more. Uh, uh, Tenfold per dollar. I mean, it's, it's really not, it's not comparable. And and that's the thing. People cannot separate the idea that what has happened so far and evaluating what has happened so far has no bearing on what could be. And just because it's been bad so far, you, like you said, you would tend to think that would, that would inform you as to what might happen in the playoffs. But Titans fans, you're, you're welcome to hope for it to change. Um, But he had five catches and 58 yards and a touchdown. Yeah. Yeah. Well, moving off of Julio, because we clearly agree and everybody's going to hate us anyways for it. Um, looking at this Titans Bengals game. Um, I don't know if you guys have gotten to this yet on your outkick show. You're probably saving it for tomorrow or Friday, just previewing the game and, and making picks. But um, what, what's your feel for this game? The Titans are, are favored uh, by about a field goal, according to Vegas. Um, that number seems to be growing. The, the sense seems to be that the Titans are the, are the, just the, the better team, but also they're in a much better situation, right? I mean, you're facing a, a team in Cincinnati that has a, a quarterback that, albeit a really good quarterback, Joe Burrow, I think, is, is, a, is a stud. He's a franchise guy. Still his first time in the playoffs and his second year in the NFL. His coach, first time in the playoffs. Um, you got a lot of guys. I mean, the Bengals are among the youngest teams in the entire league, and the Titans are among the oldest. So there's a number of things. And then you look at rest. The rest differential, not only is the – Titan, the Titans team had two weeks off with this bye, but they've also had uh, two full bye weeks, including a Thursday night mini bye in the last 
half plus of the, the Thursday night mini buy. Right. Yes. With the Thursday night mini buy and the Bengals, you may know the exact number is 13, 14 games or weeks in a row they've been playing, or maybe 10 double digit. At least games. 11, I think. Yeah. Yeah. It's a double digit, double digit weeks in a row they've been playing football and they're going to be coming on the road. So every, there's every reason in the world the Titans should be winning this game. Well, there are a lot of reasons, but you also look back two seasons and Kevin Byard talked about this last week, you know. Uh, Ravens felt pretty damn good about being the number one seed in, exactly. in 2019. And uh, Titans went in there and uh, and basically kicked their ass from start to finish. Right. Um, so that's, there, that's- is, there, there is something to be said about a team coming in, playing with momentum, even if they're dinged up a little bit, hmm. as opposed to the team that's kind of got a – uh, start running from a standing still position. Um, and so from a Titans perspective, I fear that a little bit. Titans are a slow starting team. Typically, yep. you know, uh, oftentimes you know, offense doesn't play well from the start. Uh, defense plays, you know, well, at least in the red zone. Titans are down 6 nothing. Uh, feels like it should be 14 nothing. Um you know, I think it would be bad for this team to start that way in a playoff game, particularly if they don't hold in the red zone and it's 10 nothing or, or certainly 14 nothing. Look, they, they should win. You know, they're number one seed for a reason. Um, they've got more talent in a lot of spots, but um, Burrow recovers from pressure really well, reacts to pressure really well. Uh, Bengals are more explosive. Titans can control the clock here. And uh, it could be one of those games where time of possession doesn't mean much. If Cincinnati's scoring, you know, one play 50 yard um, kind of thing. I, it's hard for me to put out of my head that Titans history is number one seed, though I know 2000, 2008 don't have a lot of bearing on, uh, on 2021. Um I'm not a game predictor, right? Um, but I could see plenty of reasons why Titans fans should uh, be biting fingernails um, and having a strong cocktail before this one to ease nerves and not, not be heading to Nissan Stadium or turning on their TV Saturday afternoon overconfident. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I think it'll be a good game. I don't think the Titans run away from anybody in these in these playoffs. They, they've Agreed. not run away from too many teams, period. Um, and, you know, if, if they don't find a way to, to win this one, you know, it will be two very good postseason situations in a row where they've wasted opportunity. They, they can't let that happen. Well, for the Paul Kuharski episode, I think this is the perfect place to end right here because we have nothing but positivity on this show typically, and we need some realism in our lives. And I think that you have provided that. This is, should be a really good game. I think all four of these games this weekend should be really good. We we are owed good games after last weekend's uh, horrible weekend of football. So hopefully we get some good football to watch. Paul, thank you for joining us. Uh, enjoy the rest of your week getting ready to go to the game and uh, covering the game and working without kick 360 again he's paul kaharski check him out go subscribe to his uh website he writes over at paulkaharski.com i'm a subscriber over there he's for since the the, the, uh, are you the longest tenured cover uh media person oh, yeah. covering the titans yes he's been 1996 doing i was covering the oilers in houston yeah so paul has been covering the oilers since literally before i was born go check him out 
He's the guy. All right. So go subscribe to his website. Go follow Outkick360. They've been doing a great show over there, continuing to grow. They're doing awesome things. Paul, thanks for joining us. Have a great rest of your night. That was a nice way of, of uh, saying how old I am. <laughs> thanks for having me. I, I enjoyed it. Yeah. Thank you so much for listening in. If you enjoyed the show, please rate, review, and subscribe. All press conference audio in this episode is courtesy of TennesseeTitans.com. A big thank you to them for making that available. On Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, follow me at Easton Freeze and the show at the Titans 10 to interact with me and keep up with any of our show updates. And finally, check out me and my very talented colleagues over at BroadwaySportsMedia.com for all things Tennessee sports. We've got great new content for you seven days a week. Until next time, I'm Easton Freeze. The Titans 10 is a Broadway sports media production.